Welcome to the OKC Community Podcast. We are so glad you're here. For more information about us, please visit our website at okccommunitychurch.com. All right, today we are in part two of the short series teaching of teachings that we are simply calling joy. And in this message, I actually want to get under the surface uh, of what we are thinking, what we believe actually gives us joy, the things that we uh, interpret in life that are the joy uh, kind of uh, fillers, if you will. And I think there's a lot underneath the surface. And I just want to, the Bible has a lot to say about happiness, pleasure, joy. And I want to start with a famous verse um, from Psalms. And it says this in Psalm 118, verse 24. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice. Everyone say rejoice. rejoice. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. So there's something about this verse that makes rejoicing and being glad sound rather easy, doesn't it? Like, oh, the day, you know, the Lord made the day, so we should be happy. We should rejoice. And I'm pretty sure if I was going to pull this room, no one in here would say, I don't really want any joy. No one in here would say, you know, can, you can leave the joy quotient for someone else. Everybody's saying, I, yeah, I would, I would take a little bit of that. Um, but if we're being honest, a lot of us would say, but it's not necessarily easy. It's not as easy as this verse makes it sound that this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice. In fact, some of us would probably say, if I was going to say, is joy a natural feeling for you? You'd say, no, 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 probably not. What's more natural to me, what I wake up probably feeling more naturally is things like perhaps is severe as depression, or maybe it's Maybe it's anger, or maybe it's anxiety. Those are the things that feel more natural than joy. And so this verse, although it's a great verse, and I do believe it's true, what's under the surface for a lot of us is that it feels more cliche than it does reality. And it's not as simple as just choosing to smile or choosing to laugh. And so uh, I, I don't want to get into this conversation today. You know that one in five Americans are suffering with depression, anxiety, or other mental health-related um, issues. And the number goes up of Americans struggling through seasonal stress or anxiety or overall unhappiness. Time Magazine, uh, they did a, is that still a thing? But I think it is. Uh, Time Magazine said that 33% of Americans, only 33% of Americans report to actually being happy, which means 66% report to not being happy. And so I know that this is a subject that many, if not all of us, can identify with, we can relate to, and that we could all say, yeah, I could use a little bit of uh, truth from God's word uh, about this in my life. And so uh, we began this conversation last week about what secular culture is saying about joy and its relationship to joy. And remember, if you were with us, if you weren't, I'll give you the quick little, but we talked about how there's these these uh, joy kind of a checkbox that, that you have to kind of, you know, check these boxes uh, of, related to the American dream, whether it be getting the perfect job, getting the dream home, getting married, having kids, whatever they are. Once you check those boxes, these are the prescribed joy fillers of our culture, and you're supposed to pursue happiness by checking these boxes, and we talked about the, uh, the challenges of that, and uh, today I want to keep exploring the realities of a culture we live in and its impact upon our faith. I think we'd all agree that the culture we live in impacts who we are, right? It impacts what we believe. It impacts how we think. And the environment around us, it influences us uh, probably more than we'd ever like to admit. Uh, everything from the things that we believe to the things that we wear. Has anybody ever have regrets about the things that you've worn because culture told you to wear it? You know what I'm saying? I mean, I can say seven or eight years ago, I would have never worn black jeans. They're called blue jeans. 
You know what I'm saying? Like, but culture leads me to become something that I never anticipated to become. I, it, was a, it was a no-no. And some of you, it, like, it's still a no-no, Tim. Don't do it. But, <laughs> but now my pastoral uniform basically requires black jeans. Uh, that's just kind of the way it is. But societal trends, right, they are very powerful in, in the, way, the ways we think and the things we do. Um, not, and some things are way more important about, than the colored jeans you wear. For example, uh, it's no secret that our culture has changed dramatically over the last 20 to 50 years. And one of those significant changes that has happened um, is kind of the emergence of what we're calling a new moral code in America. And so I, we could talk about the whole world, but I just want to talk about kind of our country, good old U.S. of A., you know what I mean? Let's talk about that. And uh, what I mean by that is there's a prevailing moral compass that has shifted in our culture. There used to be a center, kind of a center of our, uh, of our moral, morality, and it's shifting, and it has changed, and there's strong convictions around this kind of new moral center and this new moral code. Uh, through extensive research um, by the Barner Research Group, there's a book called uh, Good Faith by Dave Kinnaman and Gabe Lyons, and they actually talk about some of the findings that they had around this kind of new moral code, and, and I'll call it today sort of a me me-centered moral code, and uh, they found these guiding principles, and see if you kind of relate to some of these things. But guiding value number one that they discovered in trying to figure out what's really going on in these culture shifts is that the best way to find yourself is by looking within yourself. Now, the percentage there, the 91% that you see, represents how many Americans agree with this value. Uh, they agree with this value, and it sounds like, yeah, that makes some sense. Um, but if in case you're wondering, this is 91% of all Americans, and they also polled practicing Christians, and 76% 70, of practicing Christians agree with this value. And uh, they agree that you should just have to look within yourself to find who you are. And we'll talk more about that in a minute. But the second guiding value shaping our moral code is this. Number two, people should not criticize someone else's life choices. 89% uh, of Americans Adults agree with this, with this thought, and it sounds reasonable, but it is a change in our moral center. And, and let me see if you can follow this for just a second, but let's just consider this. When, there's ultimately, when we ultimately remove any responsibility from ourselves for what others think or do, when we feel no responsibility for the society we live in or the collective character of our culture, when we think basically we have nothing to say about what other people say or do, are we really embodying a good and honest faith? You know, Jesus, I think he would never condone critical anger or hatred, but there's always something that he was doing, wasn't it? He was constantly speaking truth and love to people to change the way they think. And so that's an interesting sort of thought here that this moral center is shifting. Number three, to be fulfilled in life, you should pursue the things that you desire most. 86% of Americans agree with this. Uh, this feeds the narrative this feeds the narrative that, you know, if you want to be fulfilled, it's achieved through acquiring, uh, accomplishing, conquering, or experiencing something. Uh, meaning, like we talked last week, you need, last week you need to be dissatisfied and you need to chase something. Uh, but yet, as we talked also last week, that, that really what God does is because he comes and says, you don't need to be dissatisfied. You can find complete satisfaction in the completed work of Jesus and what he's done on the cross, that you can have a completed whole joy found in Christ. And when we believe that fulfillment and happiness is only achieved through accomplishing our dreams, 
How many of you guys know that if that's what we really believe, then there's a crash coming? There's something about to, we're about to get disappointed and failure and pain is around the corner. We can all feel happiness from the accomplishments and from experiencing things that we enjoy, uh, but to be fulfilled, we have to look elsewhere. And the number four, the guiding value of our cultures of this new moral code, it says this, the highest goal in life is to enjoy life as much as possible. So this is, these are, this is a study done, and this is what people are saying is really how they believe life should operate. 84% of Americans agree with this. Now, I, I wanna, who in here wants to enjoy life? Yes, we all do, right? I hope some of you didn't. I don't, I don't wanna hang out with you. I'm just kidding. I know we all want to enjoy life. I, I, we believe in pleasure. We believe in enjoyment and celebration. Um, but I have to pause. So I don't have a problem with enjoying life, but I have to pause on the first part of that sentence that the highest goal in life is this. Is the highest goal in life pleasure seeking? Is that the chief end of what we want to do? I find it strange that 84% of Americans agree with this notion because I would like to believe that most of, of us as people believe that we are created for a greater purpose than just that, that we're created for something bigger than just ourselves. Would you agree? And I think that most of us probably, yeah, 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 we nod our head in that, but do we live it? What's really underneath the surface of the way we live? Every person, regardless of faith, I hope they feel like they live for a greater purpose than just enjoying life as much as possible. And then the fifth one, the last one we'll talk about that they, they shared, is people can believe what they want as long as those beliefs don't affect society. 79% of Americans agree with this. Now, I would say that this is a really important belief in the progressive emerging culture that we are living in. And some of you, would, you know what I'm talking about. And, but I think it's important to consider that although this looks really good, people can believe whatever they want. And I do have measures of my own uh, conviction that believe in that, that people have the freedom to choose and freedom to believe. Um, however, this belief being imposed upon our, in our culture is sort of uh, this, really this, this way of being generous, isn't it? Like you, you, there's a generosity kind of disguised in this. Like you, sh you can believe whatever you want. And so there's a generous sort of understanding of it, but it's actually pretty quite restrictive, isn't it? There's a muzzle put on the back end of that. Like you can't affect society. And so no matter if you think what you believe should help others, we don't want you to affect society. We don't want you to influence society. We don't want you to change the world. And so there's this really generous sort of disguise put under, uh, put over the top of a muzzle. And I think this is something that I think all of us are feeling in the world, right? So this is the essence of the new moral code. This is the essence of of uh, really what it's about. And what I'm, what I'm proposing today is this is really a, a me-centered worldview, is what it is. A me-centered understanding that our own fulfillment, happiness, and truth is gonna come from ourselves. So what does this have to do with joy? Well, I think it has everything to do with joy. Um, if the belief system that we are at minimum uh, being influenced by and at maximum finding agreement with is leading me and you to look within ourselves for meaning, satisfaction, happiness, and truth. If that's what our culture is leading us to believe, it is no wonder that we are having extremely high levels of depression, anxiety, disappointment, because that is a lot of pressure on you and me. It's in fact, it's an unreasonable amount of pressure for you to accomplish all those things by looking within. Are you with me? 
It's been proven over and over again that we must look outside of ourselves for meaning, fulfillment, and joy. 2 Corinthians 3.5 says this, now that we are sufficient in our, or not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God. Ephesians 2.8 says, for, if, for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and it is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. It's a gift of God. So if you follow Jesus, which I think is a lot of us in the room, and there's some of us that may be exploring Christ, and I'm so glad you're here, and there's some of us that maybe really aren't even for sure about this whole God thing in the world at all, well, somehow you're here today, and I'm so thankful you're here. So no matter where you are in your journey in life, um, I would say that this sort of me-centered worldview has a lot of holes in it. It just doesn't work. When these values are carried out, it lands on the same island of disappointment and shame and pride and ego and a dissatisfied thirst that can never be quenched. Are you with me? So when these things are carried out, it doesn't work because everything, especially if you're a believer, you believe this, um, everything is from God and is for the glory of God. So this kind of viewpoint doesn't work. Secondly, it doesn't work because the biblical narrative continually shows us that a life surrendered to Jesus has to ex exit itself and actually care and have purpose for others in your life. Philippians 2 verse 1 says this, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded. Everyone say like-minded. Be like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And the mindset of Christ Jesus was one of love and sacrifice and humility and servanthood. So I'm making sort of just some thing, observations about life that I think most of us probably already knew. Maybe we didn't have the, the numbers, maybe we didn't have a little five-point sermon ready to go, but you're like, yeah, culture has shifted. It's shifted to something that is very me-centric, very self-fulfilling, very ego-driven, very keep to yourself, don't tell other people what to think, and here's the deal, I'm not here to tell anybody what to think, but I believe this right here tells some of us what to think. So I'm gonna try and land this plane. It's a pretty big plane today. I have no idea, it might be crash, I don't know. We'll see what happens. Last week we talked about the practical things of our culture um, and how it tells us to pursue happiness through a checklist of accomplishments. Today we're talking about a few philosophical worldview issues that our culture is influencing us to be. And this new moral code has impacted all of us, and who knows, who knows, in a few short years, this may impact you more than you realize, and you might be wearing some black jeans as well. I don't know. <laughs> Whether practical things or philosophical things, uh, I think that we have to realize the impact that culture is having on us and how truly, like, if we're looking for joy in this world, all the solutions that the world is throwing at us are flawed. 
everything that we are influenced to believe and to trust in is broken. So what is not broken? What is it that can truly tap into the joy that's available to us? I'm sure a few of you have heard of the iceberg principle. It's kind of been around for a while, but I think I was 21 or 22 years old, and I was looking to learn how to be a good leader. When I remember reading a little article by a guy named Tim, Tim Elmore, uh, and he had a picture of an iceberg like this one on screen. And, and what this principle teaches is pretty simple. Um, for, many, the, the iceberg is, for many icebergs in, in real life, 10% of their mass is above the waterline. And 90% of their mass is below the waterline. And when you compare this in leadership, we'll talk leadership for just a second. Um, when you compare this in leadership, a lot of people are focused on what's above the waterline, what's above the surface. It's kind of, we'll kind of compare this to the skills, the leadership skills that we try and craft and we try and learn in life. And so we constantly are kind of pecking away and we're trying to chisel on our 10% when really it's about the 90%. And the 90% below the waterline represents your character. And really the makeup of a leader and a very great leader is going to be the makeup of their character. And so what people often do is they spend all of their effort on the 10% and they neglect or sometimes even ignore the 90% that resides under the waterline. This is kind of a good message. We should just keep on leadership. And I'm just kidding. Uh, no, we'll go back to joy. Um, so how does this impact, what, where does this have to do with joy? I feel like it has, it's, you know, everything about the iceberg principles in full effect with joy. When it comes to our emotions, think about it. Most of what people encounter with you is about the 10% that is above the surface, right? The 90% going on below the surface, that people, people don't really understand that about you. Would you agree? There's a lot of us that are kind of hidden in that re regard, and for good reason at times. And joy is right at the heart of that theory. You know, we, we present ourselves as happy and satisfied and content, and, uh, and that's what we show, which is the 10%. But... But, you know, uh, it, that's not really how we feel. So, for take example, someone comes up to you uh, after service, and they say, hey, how's it going? Good to see you. How are you doing? What do we say? Oh, I'm good. I'm real good. I'm great. Oh, really? Cool. Like, how's the family? Oh, the family's great. You know, we're just doing so good right now. The kids are growing like weeds. You know what I mean? And they're like, oh, really? That's cool. And it, really what you should have said is, oh, uh, I'm... I'm I, I'm exhausted, I'm uh, stressed, and the uh, kids are smoking weed. I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know. Sorry. Because <laughs> that's the truth, right? Not for me, but for you. <laughs> We're in Oklahoma, guys. Everybody's doing it. I don't know. Just kidding. <sighs> we all know the story of the Titanic, don't we? The unsinkable ship, right? But did you, a lot of you know this, but did you know that the Titanic had five war iceberg warnings? And the last warning received, the ship replied, shut up, I'm busy. And I wonder how many of us are doing the same thing. Warning signals are going off in your life, and we're too busy to deal with it. So what if I said joy is like this iceberg? The real test of joy is not the 10% above the waterline that you can muster up the energy day in and day out to say, yeah, I'm good. <laughs> but it's about the 90% underneath the waterline that really reflects the things that you believe 
and the things that you pursue and the things that you embody about what will actually bring you meaning, satisfaction, and joy. Because the truth about this is, is that a lot of us, we're being influenced by an environment and a culture and we don't even realize how deep it has gone into our souls. This reminds me of the book of Ecclesiastes. Now, if you've ever read Ecclesiastes, it's an interesting book. You should read it. It's a little bit hard to read. But King Solomon, who was the king at the, of Israel at the time, he's the, he's the son of King David. Um, he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes as sort of a report or an experiment on life. He experiments on life. He actually does this sort of psychological study uh, way before that kind of study really existed. And uh, he's testing life for a quest for meaning and ultimate satisfaction. And he's testing everything from work to accomplishments to pleasure seeking. It's a really fascinating reading. And he, he does this kind of testing out and then he's asking the question along the way, do these things bring meaning, satisfaction, and uh, ultimate pleasure, if you will. And he goes through, these, goes through these things and he gives us each takeaway. He has a takeaway for each one. And for example, he experiments and tests pleasure. He, he, he tests like pleasure seeking. In other words, Solomon like fully engaged in like, let's live the party life. You know what I mean? Let's party on. And he parties, he tries sex, he tries drinking, he tries finding pleasure in everything that he could possibly find. And at the end of that, he decides and he kind of discovers that it's still not enough. It still seems, he uses the word meaningless, and it's empty. And he does the same thing with, he's like, well, maybe I should build stuff. You know what I mean? So he starts building stuff, and he builds buildings and parks and gardens, and, and he builds all these great palaces and temples even, and he gets to the end of it. And he says the same thing. It, it's empty. It's not enough. It's meaningless. And he does this over and over again with work and with all these different other kind of tests that he plays out in life. Now, Solomon is considered the, the wisest man to ever live because he wrote the book of Proverbs and he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. And the Ecclesiastes is this several-year journey where he's testing life. Now, I don't recommend this for any of you <laughs> because it's already been done. And we can look and we can learn from God's word. At the very end of the book, the end of Ecclesiastes, after he searches for meaning and work and pleasure and wisdom and all sorts of things, he writes in chapter 12, verse 13, he says this. Now that all has been heard, here is the conclusion of the matter. Here's the conclusion of my big test, my big, my big test on life. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. I like a, a way another translation puts it. It says this. And when all is said and done, this is the same verse, here's the last word. Worship God in reverence. Worship in reverence, excuse me, worship in reverence the one true God. That's another way of saying fearing God. In case you're like, what does fearing God mean? It means worship and reverence the one true God. And keep his commands. For this is what God expects of every person. You know, Solomon concluded, and maybe you're going to make the connections without me having to make it, but he concluded that the highest goal of every person was to fear God and keep his commands, to worship God in reverence as the one true God, to keep his commandments. You know, the leaders of the Church of England back in the 1600s, which is right after the Protestant Reformation, if you know much about church history, they were likely influenced by this verse when they wrote in the Westminster Catechism, which is sort of a doctrinal kind of statement around the beliefs of the church, and they wrote these words, that the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. I love that statement. It's so good. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. 
So what if life wasn't just about trying to make our dreams come true? What if life wasn't about a quest to look within ourselves to discover who we are? Maybe, we, maybe, maybe discovering who we are is actually looking outside of ourselves. What if life wasn't about pleasure-seeking and believing that the highest goal is to enjoy oneself? What if it wasn't about expectations to leave one another alone? Don't, don't. Leave them alone. <laughs> what if that wasn't the expectation, but it was one of which, no, our, our, we're actually supposed to regard others as more highly than we regard ourselves, and so much so that I care for that person so much that I want to share the greatest truth that the world has ever known, which is the love of Jesus, and allow that to transform their life. I can't leave anybody alone to do that. i got to care about others. The scriptures teach us that, that if you want to experience the way God intended life to be, which is a life full of joy, you don't have to pursue happiness. You don't have to check the boxes. You don't even have to try and be joyful. Instead, it's a life found in the simplicity of glorifying God and enjoying him forever. Last Sunday night, we started our equip groups, and I'm leading the prayer course, and I would invite you all to come. Shameless plug. Um, but you can come tonight, whatever. You can come to any of the equip courses that are happening. But we were watching a video um, about prayer, of course, and, and the host in the video shared the story of when he was just praying one time with the Lord, and he felt like the Lord impressed on him to notice a tree, like pay attention to that tree. So the guy was like, okay, Lord, I see the tree. And he was waiting for the Lord to kind of give him some other instruction, like climb the tree or chop the tree down. Or, you know how we always like, what do you want us to do, Lord? <laughs> and, 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 and instead it was like nothing else. Nothing else ever was said. Nothing else happened. And it took him a while, but he finally was like, God, I, I, I noticed a tree. I guess I'm supposed to pray, God, good job with the tree. And I wonder if sometimes God is like, you know what? I just want you to enjoy me. I don't need you to do another thing for me right now. Can you enjoy my tree? Can you enjoy my creation? Can you enjoy the way I've taken care of you all these years? Can you enjoy just my goodness? Can you enjoy my love for you? Do you ever think that God just wants you to enjoy him? The fullness of his joy can't be complete until we think this way. And we have to, in our own minds, have these moments just like Solomon had where we say the conclusion of the matter is this. That I am going to glorify God and I'm going to enjoy him further. I'm going to have the mindset of Christ Jesus. On Wednesday night, our team was, uh, excuse me, Wednesday morning, our team was praying together. And Scott was leading us in this time of prayer. And, and he he's wanted us to pray just different thanks for the Lord. Like we went through this list of things that we wanted to thank the Lord for. And it got to my turn and I was supposed to thank God for the provision, Right? the provision of God. And so I started to pray. And I, my first thing, the first thing that came to mind when you say the word provision is, oh, I mean, he's given us, you know, thank you, God, for the money you've provided and the resources you've provided to do the ministry we do in our church. And so we were thanking God for the provision that he's given our church. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And then it was like, it hit me, though, really quick. Like, that's not the only thing he's provided. And I was thinking about all the people that he's provided. And I had this picture of, like, we haven't had one Sunday that we haven't had a drummer. Thank you, Ryan Moore. And I, we haven't had one Sunday the other drummers that have filled in for him and he's been gone. Like, we've never had one Sunday that we haven't had a sound person. Like, I'm going, for the things that we need for worship, like, we've always had it. Every, I mean, how is that even possible? And that may sound like a big deal to you, but that's, that's not easy. And I was thinking, and then I was like, well, we've never had a Sunday where we didn't have enough chairs. Thanks, God, for the chairs. There's a lot of places that don't have chairs. Thank you, God. 
I just want to enjoy you. And I just kept thinking about other ways, and I was like, man, he's, he's provided in so many ways, in ways that I don't ever think about. You've answered prayers, God. Thank you for that. Two years ago, Christy, she's told the story before, but she had these terrible pain in her feet. We started praying God would heal him. He did. And we're like, I got to continue to remember that. I can continue to thank God. He continues to provide. And he's done things that I can sit and enjoy the things he's done. I'm about done. So, um, you know, Robbie, you can make your way up here. But I, I don't talk about the, the, the new moral code uh, or our flaws in culture as a way of, of saying, like, the world is going to hell. <laughs> you know, you know that, that rhetoric out there that everything's worse than it's ever been. You know, this world has, you know, lost its way as if they ever had it. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not sure that cultures and generations prior to us um, were much different than us. I think ever since the original sin in the garden, every culture has lost its way. I'm just pointing to a few of the ways that we've lost our way. It's different than it used to be, no question. The moral code has shifted. They had their issues back then, these are our issues today. And we gotta look at them and we gotta ask, you know, what are we gonna do about it? You know, uh, Jesus said something in Matthew 7 that fits perfectly with this. He says this in Matthew 7, verse uh, 13, 14. He says, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through that. But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. You see, the ways of prevailing culture go all the way back to Jesus when he was like, hey, there's this broad road that everybody's walking down. Uh, it's a dangerous road. It actually leads to destruction. So this conversation's been going for a while. But there's a road that leads to life. There's a road that leads to joy. Because I, I just believe in the fullness of life, there's the fullness of joy. I mean, they're synonymous terms. So I, I kind of feel like I should take this entire sermon and kind of do like Solomon with a little bit of a conclusion to the matter, if that's all right. So my friends, if underneath the surface of your life, that 90%, remember, if underneath the surface of your life, if underneath the good and bad days, if underneath the busyness and the traffic and all the work that you do that you love and the work that you want a good long break from at times, if underneath all of that stuff, if underneath the kids and the raising of children and underneath the failures and underneath the breakthroughs and underneath all the things like our social media scrolls and our Netflix, if underneath all of that, life is about you. It will be meaningless. But underneath all of that, if there is something else that is the chief end of your life, if there is something else that truly guides who you are and what you do, and you look outside of yourself, and you say, the chief end of my life will be to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. If that's what the 90% under the water line for you is, well, then you're not only gonna have a life that is representative of the narrow way of Jesus that leads to life, but it'll be one full of joy. I'm convinced we are flirting 
even as Christians in today's world, we are flirting with making the chief end of our life ourselves. I know I deal with it every day when my mind is consumed with myself. And instead of the chief end being glorifying God, it's often chasing the next thing that will satisfy what we think will give us what we want. And the, the world tries to put you and me on the broad road because they think it's the right way, but in the end, it leads to destruction. But life best lived, my friends, looks outside of yourself for meaning, fulfillment, and joy. And so in conclusion, may we be people who look deeper, who consider what is underneath the surface of our own ways, that we don't just point the finger at all the problems of how the world has gone wrong, but instead we say, the world has been searching for a long time. They've been testing life. They've been exploring. Is it pleasure seeking? Is it work? Is it accomplishment? And I'm telling you that work has been done over and over again. We can find it in the book of Ecclesiastes. So may we consider what's underneath the surface of our own lives and may we distinguish from the ways of the broad road friends. May we distinguish ourselves differently than the ways of the broad road. And may we find ourselves on the narrow path that leads to life. And may I say that the narrow way will be different. It will feel narrow. You ever heard someone say Christians are narrow-minded? We are not narrow-minded in the bad sense, but we are narrow-minded in the sense that Jesus said it's a narrow path. There is a way there is right and there is wrong. And there is a calling on us as believers, as people of God, to go and change the world through the teachings of Jesus and his narrow way of life that will not be easy and will not always be fun, but it will always be full of joy. So when we begin thanking and glorifying God, may he be the chief end of our life. And so I want to encourage you to do one thing this week. I want to encourage you to enjoy God. <laughs> and for, for you, maybe that means I'm just going to write down all the things that I should enjoy about God. Whether it be creation, whether that be trees, whether that be your family, whether that, whatever it is. But how and what ways can you enjoy God? Journal, write them down. Do something actually active this week to turn your attention away from the broad road to the narrow road that says, Lord, I just want to enjoy you. So I'm going to pray for us. If you just bow your heads. And we're going to sing in just a moment. And we're going to sing that our affection is for Jesus. Our love is for Jesus. But I want to give you just a moment right now to just even think on that thought. What is something you want to enjoy about God right now? What is something you want to enjoy about God? Allow something to just come into your mind. Allow the Lord to impress something on your heart. Just fill your mind in a way that you can enjoy him. Maybe you want to enjoy his provision, his presence, his forgiveness, his comfort, his love, his friendship, his power. Can we just sit? And I'm just going to give you just a moment to rest 
in his goodness. And then in your own words, maybe just whisper a prayer and say, God, I want, I want, to, I want to enjoy you more, more than I do right now. I want to enjoy you. Every day I want to wake up, I want to find ways to enjoy you. Maybe just say a prayer like that this morning. I just want to enjoy him. Father, I pray for each and every person in here that even as we sing this song, we respond to you that, God, Lord, if you want to move uh, in this time, that we would come and maybe even bow in your presence, that we would lift our hands, that we would come and pray with a friend. Lord, I pray that this would be a moment of just responding to you and not sitting uh, back whenever you're leading us to step out. And so, Lord, I pray for each and every person that, Lord, if you have something that you want to direct us in right now and the way we respond to you in these in these final moments together, that, Lord, you would, you would just allow freedom in this room. You would allow uh, um, uh, the, the courage that you release all those things right now, Father. We just pray these things in your name. Amen. I'm going to invite you to stand with us, and uh, our prayer team is going to be right up here in the front. They're also in the back. We'd love to pray with you about anything going on in life, but obviously today we've touched on something that a lot of you maybe are dealing with, and you want to grow in. And so what better way to kind of bring a moment of conclusion to today than just praying over that. And so let's, let's worship, though. Let's, let's spend these last few minutes just responding to the Lord and His goodness. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. If there's anything we can pray with you about, or if you have questions about God, we'd love to talk with you. Please visit our contact page at okccommunitychurch.com.